I wouldn't say it like that, but he is right here rubbing against me. Uh, happy episode one, whatever this is, 132. I'm going to go love bullet up and go get some ice cream, I think. So see you guys in a little bit. Hey guys, back again. Uh, I may sound a little weird today because I'm a little sleepy, but just tired from work. But um, yeah, so our next guest I met, of course. I mean, I don't know why I keep repeating, but Podmatch, I've met so many great guests. And I was reading her story, and I liked what she had to offer and to say. And talking to her off mic, she seemed like a sweet person. And, you know, positivity is always a good thing to have. Uh, and I always say the, the, the podcast has been a big... Uh, staple in my life to help, you know, for positive positive positivity and make me feel better about not only what I'm going through, but just what's going on in this crazy world we live in. Um, and I have an affinity for, for especially for parents and who take help take care of uh, children and, and, and especially with disabilities and stuff and they go out of their way. And so I uh, wanted to have our next guest on. So you want to introduce yourself and, and tell us a little about yourself? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Tim, for um, letting me be on your, your show. My name is Lorraine Lewis, and um, I'm a mother of seven children. I had five children and then adopted two more. And, um, of course, as all parents do, we have quite a few stories to tell, but um, I just wrote a book um, that just came out on Amazon uh, called Behind Iron Bars, um, which is a true story based on an intellectually disabled uh, man who is now in prison, who is my son. And um, that's a little bit about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so where do we, I mean, obviously we'll get to now and in, in, in the middle part of, you know, with your son and all that, but where do we start with the beginning of your story as far as, um, I don't know, I guess we could, like, you know, how were you just as a child, I guess? You know, did you have a decent childhood? Um, you know, I really, I did. Um, you know, I guess a lot of people have horror stories or they have the picture-perfect uh, life growing up. Um, I grew up with my sister. We were latchkey kids. We'd walk to school and we'd walk home and use a key to go in. And my life pretty much was surrounded by what was on television that formed my ideas of what the real world was on the outside. And, and it wasn't much later until I moved out and uh, started having a life of my own that I realized that, wow, um, relationships aren't really like that on TV or situations and people aren't really that honest out there. And I, I had no clue. So I grew up um, with a mother who loved me. My parents were divorced. Uh, my father was um, <laughs> my father was in a profession. Um, how do I explain that one? Uh, he did things for a living that uh, probably uh, most kids didn't grow up with. Uh, he was part of an Italian family um, and uh, was a very, very handsome, gorgeous man. But his values and morals were um, totally the opposite of what I knew to be the truth and reality when I was growing up. My mother was beautiful. She was kind of like that Doris Day, Mary Tyler Moore combo. Okay. And uh, she just had a heart of gold. 
Uh, I knew she loved me unconditionally. So I had a loving mother who I grew up with her. My father grew up um, in another part of uh, California. And I saw maybe once, twice a year. Um, And I had one sister that I grew up with. And then I had a brother I didn't know about until I got into my 30s. And um, my brother actually was adopted uh, by a very famous actor in Hollywood and uh, was raised in that household in a totally different lifestyle and grew up with people like um, Clint Eastwood and just all kinds of Paul Newman going in and out of his home. So I didn't know about him until I was in my 30s and I I got to know him before he passed away. The adoption Um, worked out. Uh, my mother back in those days, she had been dating a guy for about 10 years and she got pregnant after 10 years. And he said, if you have the baby, I'm, I'm out of here. And back in those days, I guess it was very difficult to have a child and be a single woman and then raise him by yourself. So she thought the best thing for the child would be to give him up for adoption. So she did. I just meant it worked then, out because, you know, it, I mean, the life he got to live. I mean, it doesn't mean he had a great family, but I mean, he got to yes, live a good yes. life for the most part. And he, I mean, you hear a lot of horror stories with, you know. Yes. Yeah. He, yeah, he was quite a dear man. Um, he, he was amazing. Um, he passed away, gosh, I don't even know how many years it's been, maybe eight years ago now, eight to 10 years. Um he took his life. And so, you know, you can grow up with lots of money, fame and fortune and be very unhappy. So you just never know in life. But for the most part, my life was typical normal. My mother was single parent raising my sister and I, and, um, you know, I pretty much had to learn things on the street or at school. So, you know, it wasn't horrible and it wasn't the greatest. Right. Yeah. It's typical normal. I think think that's kind of the middle ground for everyone. I mean, the two extremes is, yeah, like you said, it's either horrible or you have horror stories. I have some, but not necessarily with my mother and father. I mean, my dad and I have had up and down relationship, but I didn't go through any kind of abuse or things like that. When I talk about being molested or anything like that, that all happened like when I was in school and things like that. So it, I had mm. I had some bad things happen to me, but it wasn't at home. Um, but then you got, uh, yeah, then you got the extreme where somebody's just everything's perfect and great or or at least seems perfect. And you know, what we would, I guess what we deem to be perfect or or, or good. Um, And then there's like the rest of us that are kind of just in the middle ground. There's some good, there's some bad and you know, you take whatever you can and it kind of just molds you in life and you just go with it. Yeah. Yeah. I was probably that middle ground person. Yeah. Um, now, did, were, you said you had seven kids, obviously, to adopt it, but was that something, you know, a lot of times, especially girls, they really kind of know what they want more so than boys. Was it something you always wanted, just to have a lot of kids? No, quite the opposite. Okay. I think I had a lot of children to try and get a life that I thought could be obtained that I didn't have growing up. Um it had nothing to do with, oh, I want this many kids. It had absolutely nothing to do with that. Okay. Um, I did not have any um, great uh, parenting. Uh, I had a lot of love for my mother, but there was no parenting structure. You did you do your homework? Are you doing this? You know, there, there was no, there was nothing. Um, and I think that... Um, 
I, I had no desire, like, I'm going to have this many kids. Oh, I'm going to marry them out of my dreams. I think I was just searching uh, for a relationship of love. I think there was a lack of feeling that love from a father, from others around me um, as I was growing up. And so I think that I was trying to fill that. Yeah, that happens a lot, especially with young girls that are trying to, like, replace that major father figure in their life and uh, you know yeah. especially i mean even if they come back in their life at some point it, there's a period of time where they're just searching for some sort of male figure that replaces them and, and um mm-hmm. and a lot of times especially when you're young you go about it the wrong way because you're looking for guys and a lot of times you're trying to even find guys that are similar to your father whether it's stature, look, whatever. Not that you're attracted to your father, but you're you're looking for something that's just exactly. Like, oh, daddy's here, and 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 it, it yeah. There's a mm-hmm. lot of bad relationships coming. From. That's why they say, you know, you know, when guys are just like, oh, you know, when they wanted to get laid, it's like I'm looking for a girl with daddy issues. It's like that's mm-hmm. like, it's like the known you know stereotype. Uh, exactly. Which you know it's it's unfortunate because there's too many broken homes, and a lot of times it is the father. Um, usually, yeah. usually when it's the mother, it's kind of alcohol, drugs problem. Whereas the yeah. father, it's a lot of times it's just didn't want to be around or there was other things. And again, there's also the drug and the alcohol and the other stuff. But um, yeah. Yeah. And so it, it leaves girls on these like journeys. And that that's what ends up happening. I, mean, it, I think it affects boys even more so because of you know, we are men and we need that father figure to teach us what it's like to actually even treat a woman a certain way and to, you know, to just yeah. live a, a decent, you know, just to be a decent man where your mom can teach you only so many things, but sometimes moms make it up by babying you and treating you a certain way. And then you, you become more emotional and weaker and not that there's anything wrong with emotion or crying or anything, but you tend to overdo it in a certain way where you don't have that toughness where you need to have it. And, that's why it's really a good balance to have that mother, father, at least figures in your life. They don't have to actually have to be your parents. So it's yeah, that is so true. That is so true. You need both sides, and um, when you don't get it, there that imbalance shows up somewhere in your life. Yeah. So and you, you again, like you were doing, like you were trying to find it one way or another. Even if you didn't think you were, it's just some sort mm-hmm. of psychological thing you're on, some path of trying to find it and sometimes you do a lot of destructive things in your path to, to figure that out and uh yeah that's when you know a lot of times you fall on your face and that's when you really figure out like oof like what have i been doing yeah. when you have to soul search and dig deep and go oh wow this really has yeah been no me. and that's that's true that's true i i could have fallen into drugs i could have fallen into alcohol my father was a major alcoholic for a long portion of my life till he got quite quite probably into his 80s, 70s or 80s before he wasn't so much that. He'd have a drink every now and then, but he drank to oblivion uh, when I was growing up. And I think I think it scared me enough where I didn't want to get involved with drugs or alcohol. I was afraid, you know, I'd go crazy like he was in my mind. Um, so I always stayed on the right side of the road, but the area that I really fell hard was in relationships. Sure. I went through relationship after relationship. So, you know, that was my um, my downfall. Everybody has their weak area. That was mine because I was trying desperately to find a relationship uh, that would fill me up, you know. Um, and and it just always turned out to be the same way. I, I would give and give and give and give. And, you know, I became that 
horribly codependent person. And I think that's why I had five children and then adopted two more um, and didn't, and, you know, and I haven't been in a relationship in, I don't know, five years now. So I'm working more on myself and, and doing things with my children, but, you know, everybody has their thing. So I think that was mine. Yeah. And I think one of the good things about having a father in your life, and again, I, me and my dad are like friends and, you know, it's unfortunately not what it could be or should have been, but you know, life is what it is. But, um, one of the things I would, I would imagine for a girl to have that father figure is that, you know, cause guys know what guys are like. And sometimes we, we worry too much because we compare them to what the stupid things we did in our lives and so on. But it's good to know what to prepare yourself for. Girls can prepare yourself from the other, the other, you know, outlook of it. It's like, okay, yeah, guys can be pigs and this and that, but you know, guys can actually tell you what a guy is thinking in these moments and, and, and really prepare you for those type of things. And so when you're, when you're kind of only having the female perspective, you're going into these relationships. And if you're just looking for love, like love can mean so many things. And, exactly. And a lot of times, I mean, there's people that fall in love for, and, and I mean, that's why marriage is such a kind of ridiculous thing to do anymore because you know, less than 50% of people stay together because they, and the ones that do stick together or do get married, they get married for kids. They get married for whatever. Right. Sometimes they're their drug dealer. Like sometimes it's, it's the, dumb, yeah. it's the dumbest yeah. of things. And, um, you know, and that's, and that's the, you know, when you go into it, even, you know, like I said, I'm 33 and I'm still kind of figuring exactly what I want. And then you, then you, mm. you, you have the needs and, you know, you want certain things and then you're just like, well, sometimes you just deal with and you cope with, or you, or you sacrifice, you go, you know what, like, let's say, like, oh, I want is sex, well, look, my idea is I don't want just sex from somebody, but right now I can't have a relationship, so it's like, meh, I guess there's that, exactly. like, you know, so you start, you just start <laughs> making those decisions based on, because loneliness is, is a problem, like, loneliness is one yeah. of the biggest problems with depression, like, you get so lonely, and you get so bored, and you start thinking whether it's horrible thoughts about yourself or other people, and you start mm -hmm. thinking about, like, how can I... Like, you start making dumb decisions by, like, well, let's say texting exes that you shouldn't be texting because yeah. they, they don't love you or they never cared about you. Or, you know, you get on dating sites and you just start mm -hmm. making dumb decisions just because you're lonely. And, um, and I mean, you and I... That is so true. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're a little older than me and you grew up in a different generation. Again, how old are you? I should ask just because so I don't presume... No, that is, that's very true. Um, I went through that phase for many, many years. Um, the loneliness was uh, very difficult, but then something changed at a certain point, and I want to say probably about 10 years ago. Okay. And I started learning, and I honestly don't know what it was that triggered me, but I started being able to be okay and at peace by myself. But I had to do the things that made me happy. And I wasn't able to do a lot of things that made me happy because I was in a consuming job. I mean, it took over everything, hours, everything. And it was for the almighty do dollar at that time. Yeah. But um, I, I don't know. I think it was I, I changed how I viewed things. And I started somehow, and I don't know how, I started valuing myself. And I was like, uh, no, the, this person does this and that. No, I'm not. I'm not even going to entertain that. And whereas before, I, in my head, I tried to figure a way. There would be a way to work this out and make it work. And it was always based on me trying to fix it or make it better or I could be better. And it was a very, you know, codependent 
view and I wasn't codependent because um, I had gone through that 30 years ago um, and worked on that. But I probably in the last 10 years, I made a decision. It's like, you know what? I'm going to do those things I love to do. I love to do CrossFit. I love to do things with my kids. I love my home. I love sitting out on the back patio. I like helping people, you know, and I'd start filling, you know, huge amounts of time, filling myself up with that. So I'd get satisfaction out of it. And one of the biggest ones was competing in CrossFit. I get so much satisfaction out of that, that uh, it, it was okay if I wasn't in a relationship. And so now I'm to the point where, you know, if I meet somebody one day, great. If I don't, I'm, I'm okay. I'm happy. Whereas before it was like, that's all I could think about was yeah. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be the holidays alone. I don't want to be sitting here by myself. And now that's, I don't think that way anymore. And so I don't know what flipped the switch, but something, something did. And I'm so glad it did. Cause I remember those feelings of loneliness. Sure. Many, many, many years of loneliness, and um, well, it helps that you built this. You know, you you have these kids all around. You have a group. You know, you have people who love yeah. you and to do stuff with. And mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's not the same, but it, it you have kids to go on adventures, or you have, and you're distracted because kids do take up a lot of your time. You have to worry about mm-hmm. feeding them, especially when they're babies. I mean, they could roll over and smother themselves. So you have mm-hmm. to literally be you know, aware at all times and you have to constantly look after them and your time is so focused and and the amount that you had, it's not like you just had one. So, I mean, five and then two adopted, it's like, that's, that's a lot of your time that, you know, even though I'm sure there was still time spent towards that, but you still also have to shower. You still have to pay your bills. You still have to do all these things. So Mm -hmm. a lot of your time is consumed of thinking about other stuff that has nothing to do a lot of times with you other than stuff that's I guess came from you, but there it's a lot of it doesn't have much to do with, you know, your love life. So it's exactly. And I think, you know, I got to a point where everything was a secret. Don't let anybody know that you're weak in this area. Don't let anybody know that you made a mistake. Don't let it. I was in this, I have to be perfect mode. All that I was too afraid to let anybody see that I was this human being with, um, you know, many, many, um, What's the word? Uh, <laughs> words on the tip of my tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, with the with these, you know, uh, just that I'm human and that I'm I make mistakes and I'm like everybody else. But before I wouldn't allow myself to do that because I didn't want anybody to think I wasn't good enough or I was not great or I was weak or I was I wouldn't allow. And I think I got that from my father who was just that. Um, in his mind, man, yeah, the bravado, the, mm-hmm. the, the strength, you can't really show oh, weakness. And, hugely, yeah. hugely. My father, he, when he'd introduced me to all his friends at the bar, when I'd go visit him, the intro was always the same. And a lot of people would say, oh my God, you grew up with that. That's abusive. And, and, and it wasn't for me. Now it lowered my self-esteem. Yes, I'll admit that. But he used to introduce me as, oh, this is my daughter, Lorraine. She's a little douchebag of a girl, a little flat chested. You know, the doctor slapped her mother when she was born. You know, just he thought he was funny. He thought we were, it was endearing. He he had a different idea of what that same intro was every single time he introduced me to somebody. And, you know, everybody would smile, ha, 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 yeah, Pete. But I didn't learn until, of course, many, many years later that that probably was not the best thing that he could have instilled into my mind um, growing up. Uh, because it lays a foundation of insecurities, especially with a girl. Yeah. 
you know, and you, know, you can take it two ways, like the busting balls mm-hmm. and stuff. And I'm sure he's yeah. probably was powerful enough or had stuff in his life where he was and not many people would question him and tell him like, hey, shut up, like be an asshole. They, oh, no, Especially never. No, no, no. Side, where it's like, he, you know, he was known as he would break your legs and your arms. That was not an option. <laughs> yeah, you never told him anything. But, you know, I knew the good side of him. Right. I knew the really great side of him. So. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm assuming when, though when you're around other people, there's still an image that he has to keep up. He's not embarrassed to say you're his daughter, but he's, he's not going to do the cutesy yeah. pootsy. Oh, you my little baby no. girl. Like he has to no, never. treat you like one of the guys. Absolutely. He he would wear white silk shirts where you could see through them, where it would have a pocket in the front. And then he'd take a big wad of $100 bills, fold them in half and stick them in the pocket of that shirt. Yeah. And he always drove a Rolls Royce, a different one, every year. He always, it was how he looked. It was the image. Uh, and he was an extremely tall and very handsome man. Very handsome. And so there was this huge image. And, uh, for you know, for most of my life, I believe that was the way it had to be. You had to look like something and be a certain way and don't let anybody see any weakness. Otherwise, you know, you were nothing. And like, so I had to. I feel like he was a character mm-hmm. in The Sopranos. Yes, very good. <laughs> I mean, it's an amazing show, but I know I know a lot of Italians hate it because it's stereotypical, or whatever. But it really is based on a lot of true things that happen, and the reason why yes. it hit so many Italians is because they know that side of that lifestyle, and it, it, yeah. it's very similar in that you know Tony Soprano. Yes. And the show in general, they, a lot of other characters. They had families. They had yes, and that was me. That was my family. That was. My father thinks he kept it away from us, but not entirely. Yeah. Um, I think that's what made that show so good beyond just the amazing acting. The realism of it is just they, they show you everything. The, the the fact that he is a good dad, but he's also a shitty yeah. dad. He's also a good yeah. husband, but he's also he cheats and he's also a piece of shit sometimes. Yeah. But he's a great provider. But everything he does yeah. is also in blood money and and. But there's, yeah. there's, but he also goes to the store and buys sandwiches. Like he's not just some guy, yeah. you know. Like it, 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 it and that's why he's still it, a human being. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not Italian, but it was my favorite show ever because of <laughs> how real it is, and because of obviously the acting. But there's yeah. things that go on in that show where it's like they're talking about, you know, where they parked at, and it's like, and I'm fascinated yeah. because it's so well done and it feels so real. And again, I know, like I said, that's why, I mean, I knew you didn't want to talk too much about your dad, but I knew it just, there was a, there's characters in that show that I'm like, ah, oh, it just kind of reminds me of him minus like the Rose Rose, yeah. because in that show, they kind of covered up a how they, at that point in time, they were really concealing of, of what they drove and stuff yeah. because of law enforcement and all that. But. Yeah. And when you grow up and you don't, I didn't know any of that until I was in my twenties. Until I was married for the first time, I got married in Las Vegas, and all of a sudden, my dad shows up there in Las Vegas, and I'm like, how did you get here? And he said, oh, the Goombas, they had a helicopter. They flew me in. I'm like, they put you on a helicopter? Yeah, here, come on, Rainy. And I'm like, you know, that's when I started to learn. That's when I realized I didn't have a clue growing up at all, and then things started making sense. Can I ask how old you are? I'm 63. Okay, because I was I'm, I was trying to figure out like an age difference. So you're 30 years older than me, and um, mm-hmm. so yeah. So I because I was going even thinking about like internet and all that, and obviously at that point in time the internet wasn't around in your 20s. So. Right, right. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you have newspapers and all that, but you don't really have a whole lot of what's going on. I mean, the mob is a thing. There's a lot of stuff going on, but yeah. it's, it's not people. Didn't, and back then, people didn't really. There's rumors and stuff, but not many people like to talk about that stuff because it could come back. Well, we to wouldn't you. dare. Yeah. <laughs> I would not dare talk about it because I, I can talk about it now. My father is gone. My mother's gone. Um, but I would not. I would not have the balls to talk about it when they were alive. The, and the fear would be that something was said or got that. I, I was, I would never be willing to take that chance. Sure. I knew how powerful my father was and there was no way I'd ever cross that ever, ever, ever. Yeah. So. Even if you probably could get away with it because of being his daughter, you probably were in, in fear of him because of his swagger, his energy and, and like the connections. It's, there's a lot of that stuff yeah. back then, even though there, even though the weird part is that what, when people talk about like gangsters and all that then and now, at least then there was like a respecting there. There's a lot more to it than what it is because today it's just kids just going off shooting each other. And it's, it's really sad. Yeah. So I'm mostly back yeah. then it's just adults or, you know, kids in the family, but they're like in their twenties and they're, they're, they're just, they're just in the family. It is what it is, but it, it's, it's yeah. still a thing. Like they still, it's still bad. And it's, it, you know, I mean, but I mean, when people talk about, let's yeah. say, like John Gotti, John Gotti was one of the most respected people ever, and he he kept a very yes. safe neighborhood. It's just, yes. you crossed him, you were probably going to disappear. So yeah, it, it, yeah, there's two sides of the sword, but it, it ends up, it, it is what it is, I guess. But um, that's very, very true. So when you when you started having kids, were you now? I have to ask, did you were you searching for guys in that kind of lifestyle, or I mean, or did it just? happen or no. did you just find any I mean was it just some random construction no the I think the truth of the matter is uh, anybody uh, who showed, paid attention to me seemed like they did care about me loved me then that's uh, then that's the direction I went hmm. um, I was married for the first time at 19 and had my first baby at 20 was divorced by 22 and uh you know, and then the story goes on. Um, but I had five children. Um, and, you know, it was, it, instead of just going in and out of relationships, I was a person, you know, the good old fashioned, you get married. And uh, that was just a terrible way to go. But I had nobody to help me, teach me, show me, you know, talk to, you know, about those things. It wasn't when I grew up, nobody, you know, my mother didn't say, you know, let's sit down. We need to have the sex talk. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about relationships. That wasn't a thing. Yeah. That was never a thing. And my father was never, you know, hey, you know, how's your life going? How's school? What's your grades? There was nothing. Zero. Um, we pretty much raised ourselves and you learned as you went. And one of the things you can't, that can be very challenging is learning the difference between a good relationship and a bad relationship or a safe relationship and not so safe. Um, you know, I, I learned as I went and, but I, I got married. Who does that? You know, yeah. I did. Yeah. I yeah. know those like talks are really important. They're awkward. It's like, oh, the birds and the bees, which yeah. I, I never understood why birds and bees, but regardless, they, <laughs> they, they, they start telling you that stuff and you don't. And, and so, because if you don't hear that from them, you hear it from your friends and your friends are always talking about how cool it is and this and that, or how scary yeah. it is. And so you have your own little feelings of what it's about and what you should try or shouldn't try. And you know, you, you'll have that one friend. It's like, Oh, you should have a baby. It's great. 
It's like, oh, your heroin, it felt good. It's like you start getting these, <laughs> you start getting these theories, and it's like some stuff sounds really cool to you, depending on who you know the point the point of view is coming from. Um, and you're just like, yeah, and you just kind of you just you're on like autopilot, and you're just kind of picking up things as you go along, and you're like, okay, yeah. this is so sex is mm-hmm. this, and exactly, and dating is this, and and you just you're not really again doesn't mean. Because when your parents are strictly like, no, don't do this, obviously you're probably going to try it. But there is a way of balancing it. You're just saying, hey, like, prepare yourself for these things. These are things that this is going to happen to you at some point in your life. Yeah. Prepare yourself. But, yeah, when you go based on people your age, well, people your age are immature. And their mm-hmm. their lack of life experiences is so small that they, they're just going on mm-hmm. what their adrenaline rush, essentially. Like, they're going on the last couple years of, you know, again – Especially when you're really young, it's like you're a teenager, so you're just you're just experiencing a little of what life can be, uh, unless mm. you're a child that went through a lot of trauma and stuff. But in general, like when you're in a teenager, you're just kind of figuring what life is kind of about, and you're not even really gonna know until college and and you start working and all that. So it, mm-hmm. you have ways to go to really figure it out. So when when you're passing information around to your other friends and and you're the experienced one, it can get bad for some of those kids that get mixed up in the middle there because you don't know yeah. what is all true and not exactly yeah you, there's there's no conversations there's no questions i did whatever i wanted to do and it wasn't in a bad way it wasn't because my mother didn't care about me she trusted me that was the problem and i didn't do anything that was really wrong but i was uh in really different relationships in and out of them because i couldn't um maneuver my way I couldn't figure it out I couldn't understand I tried to learn I it was just very challenging and now I'm I'm such a different human being now um I wish I knew what I know now back then um sex back then was sex it was nothing it was absolutely you know a guy thing in my opinion I didn't have a clue and now I have a totally different idea of what sex is and, you know, same thing with a relationship, same thing with conversation, you know, not having it be a one, one way street. Yeah. I think to, that's to be able to listen. That's and, what happens to a lot of young girls. They go on these trips. They're not even, they don't even care that the guy they're with doesn't care about ever pleasuring them in bed. They're just, they feel like this is the way they show love back. And it, it's part yeah. of the, the lost part of it where you're just like, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm yeah. having sex. I mean, it's okay. But um, it's, exactly. for, it's, it's for him. But it's like, no, not exactly. really. It's, and again, that's, even though we're in this kind of, to some degree, we're kind of overly sexualized in this society because they're, some of the music, some of the stuff that comes out for the young girls is really not good. Um, and, yeah. and for young kids in general. Um, but they, so there's some of that, but there's also some of it where women are owning their own bodies and their sexuality and saying it's okay to be this way and all that. So there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's the yin and the yang. There's the positives and the negatives. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I know back then they, that you know, the further you go back, the less people really talked about it. Even if they were, you know, promiscuous and they're very sexual, a lot of people. Sorry, guys, we okay. had a malfunction. Um, but yeah, back when I mean, girls were very, you know, because I've talked to my mom and you know, she's 
actually she's I think one year younger than you and, and my grandma's 90 and you know the older you go back it doesn't mean that there wasn't sex wasn't around and people didn't party and do things of course it was just more again kind of like with your father's lifestyle it was more hush hush again there was you had the radio yeah. and then eventually newspaper so you didn't have even when television was back then like television was a couple channels so so the further yeah. you, you know now everything is just so out there um yeah yeah so the information it was it's 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 so different so the woman you know sex was out there but again there's not many there's not all these different sites and these things that tell you what is bad and what is good and how to treat your woman and you know and all that exactly yeah exactly that is so true so you you're taking from your own personal experiences which in your case a lot of them weren't great and and your friends who are telling you what is good and bad so you know yeah yeah exactly no i but it wasn't you know i wasn't being beat and i wasn't being sexually molested and i wasn't you know it, it, sure it has its ups and downs when i was growing up but so far as who i am today um i just decided to be what i want to be and not let somebody else define that for me and I think I spent most of my life letting other people define who I was awesome. um, yeah. and trying to live up to that. Now, the, your, uh, your one child, I know you have special needs and all that. Is he one of the ones you adopted? Is he or one of your ones? You no. The one, the, with regards to my book that I wrote, yeah. um, Matthew, we call him Maddie. Um, he's one of my kids that I had. Okay. Um, and he's uh, intellectually disabled. And one of the things I talk in my book about that is he has mental retardation. He's mentally retarded. Right. He's not, um, he doesn't have mental illness. And I know that's a big, it was a big problem when I was writing this book. Um, I had several people, I wanted to call it behind iron bars, uh, mentally retarded and in prison. And they became extremely um pissed off at the fact that I would uh, be politically incorrect and say that. And I said, well, he's my child and I have no disrespect with my child. I love him to death. I've uh, given my life for him in many different situations. But the truth of the matter is mental illness, say somebody has schizophrenia, they have borderline personality disorder, they have uh, with some different um, illnesses illnesses can possibly be treated with medication or at least tone it down or calm it. And sometimes uh, therapy can help it. Whereas if you haven't, exactly. However, if you have mental retardation, the definition of that is uh, brain damage Mm -hmm. and you can't, no amount of pills on the planet or therapy is going to change that brain damage. It isn't going to control it, change it, make it better. You're not all of a sudden going to start becoming a smart person when you have mental retardation. When you go to a doctor and specialist and they do all the tests on your child to find out, you know, what does he have? And they come back. They don't say, oh, well, your, your son is intellectually challenged. The medical diagnosis is, he has mental retardation, meaning it's brain damage. It's not something that they can fix. You don't all of a sudden get healed and made whole. Yeah. And I think, 
I did go, I took the higher road and labeled the subtitle on the book intellectually disabled and imprisoned just so I wouldn't turn people away from the book. Um, but I do go in and define it. He's, he's not going to get healed and made whole or better or sustain himself on a pill or therapy, you know? So that was a huge, um, a huge fact that I wanted to really talk about and let people know I'm not downing or cutting or, you know, using a term, how dare I, uh, you know, he has mental, the medical term is he has mental retardation. Yeah, you no, know, I, which is brain damage. So, when I was reading that on, I, and on, your, he, on your profile, I respected that because we do live in this, and I, I bitch about it all the time. This politically correctness nonsense—it's so silly. Yeah, and again, I know you grew up in a different yeah. time where there was no such thing as that. People just said what they said, and exactly. So but <laughs> and again, I, I think there is a middle ground. There's some stuff that does need to change, and, and look, there, there's some really stupid shit that goes on in this world that needs to change. I, I, I you know, I think there's a lot. I mean, look, slavery was something that needed to stop. Obviously, you know, gay marriage yeah. is something that should have, you know, I'm glad it's happening, but it, it, it there's, exactly. there's, there's stuff that needs to change for sure. And in stuff in speech and stuff, there's some things that really are just ignorant and all that. But when you start to try yeah. to change the terms of someone's actual medical condition, it gets a little hairy because you're like, what are you doing? Like, you know, because yes. it is mentally retardation. And then people will just like, well, you're yes. retarded. And it's like. Look, it may sound bad, but that's the pro. Like, it's, like we we try to sugarcoat everything now, and it's not that like, exactly. Like they made that movie about the Tuskegee Airmen, and they kind of took out yes. all the really racist stuff. They took out like with Tom Sawyer, they took mm -hmm. out there's a character in the book named Nigger Jim, and it's not because mm -hmm. the word is great and because we want to highlight the way it's, they're, they're highlighting the way that that time was and how it's people the were truth treated of that way. the yeah. context. Yes, how was the context? What was the time frame? What was the truth of what was said? Why yeah. wouldn't we say the truth of what was said? Because people are afraid of the truth. That's the thing. And that's why when people say like, oh, well, how, how are we, you know, what are, what about the kids? Well, like, as I've said so many times, well, what we're teaching the kids nowadays, and I don't have any kids, but we're teaching the kids just to, to lie and be untruthful. Exactly. And, because everyone just doesn't want to say how they really feel. So it just comes out in this bullshit. And then people 10 years later get called out on, you know, get called up on Instagram or some social media for something they said in their household or whatever, because yes. they were holding back how they truly felt about something. And deep down it was there the whole time. But the reality is like, we're all a little screwed up. We all have some good in yes. us. We all have some bad in us. It's just hopefully the good outweighs the bad, but it's like, we, we all try to pretend like we're so friggin' perfect. And it's like, no, man, exactly. like we're all, we're human. That's the thing. We're, 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 we're a broken species. It's just, we exactly. try to pretend like we're not. And so I respect it when you, you put that there because it's, you know, look, I, the word, like, even, yeah. the, even the word retard, like it's the one word, like I, I, you know, when you're busting balls with your friends, kind of like what your dad is doing, like when you, you know, and it's times what I've said you? to my guy friends, like stop yeah. being retarded and you know. It's exactly the, it's exactly the, it is the one word that i've kind of tried to take out only because it, it, it's a group of people that can't defend themselves whereas like when you're right. when you're busting balls even if you're saying like hey stop being a faggot it has nothing to do with gay people at all. you're just kind of <laughs> saying stop being an idiot but it's like at yes. least gay people can defend themselves gay i can have a logical conversation yes. with gay people and say look 
if you don't like it, I'm sorry, blah, 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 whatever. But I can't have that with someone who has mentally retardation and it's not fair to just keep yeah. throwing the word around. And, and, even, and honestly, when I heard it from other people and not knowing their context, you go, ah, you stop being retarded. Like it starts to, it starts to sound a little weird. And, and then being a disability advocate, it's like, eh, it's probably something I probably shouldn't say because and it's just, and I'm just being honest, but I'm also honest about the fact that I'm not shy. That, yeah, of course I've said it because I'm not perfect and I don't claim yeah. to be. And so I, yeah, I didn't. Well, a much. lot of it, is that context if you're name calling you're saying you know, you're retarded you're you're a retard or you're you know uh you're a homo when you're name calling that's a certain context but if you're talking about uh mental retardation he's mentally retarded that is his diet there's a different context and i think that's where this country has really gotten screwed up it's like did he really, you know, he called him a retard. Was it the truth? Yes, he did. Are we going to say, well, he called him intellectually challenged. How dare him? It's the context. And I think that um, it, we're just so way out in the left field on that. So I'm, I thought, okay, with my book, I'm going to put intellectually disabled. But, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know what? My brother has mental illness. My son doesn't have mental illness. But yeah. they confuse it with what that term means. Well, mental illness it, is it, now thrown around with everything now. And I, some people, and again, exactly. look, I think we all have some form of it. And I have it. So I'm not even going to sit here and I, like, I talk about mental illness all <laughs> yeah. the time. But you're right. Yes, like, we do. But, but you're right. Mental illness is just, it's a scapegoat now, people, because they use it when it's not really always applied. It needs to be applied. And so it's just it's just there. And it's like, oh, you right. got mental illness. It's like, no, man, there is a difference between, you know, like what your son has and, and that. You know, someone who's schizophrenic or someone who's depressed or, or suicidal. Or exactly. It's, there's, there's, there really is a difference. But we just, even like when I talk about people with disabilities all the time, there's a lot of people that people don't want to throw in there with disabilities. It's like, well, what about people with dwarfism? It's like, they're just little people. It's like, no, there's, they have exactly. bone structure problems. They have, There's a lot of issues with them. They're disabled. There's a lot of physical issues. Yes, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And that's the same thing with, you know, like, you know, when people say, like, I tell people I'm legally blind, they hone on the blind part and not the legally part because I can see some. And then they're like, well, what right. does that mean? And it's like, well, you don't look blind. And it's like, well, because I'm not blind. I didn't tell you I was blind. And because and there, there's, there's so many interpretations anymore and there's so much information. Because that, that's another problem with the Internet is that as, as great as it is for information, now there's so much information like for me, I'm I'm dealing with brain fog and I'm trying to balance my depression and all these things. Well, go ahead and look up symptom or uh, supplements for depression or brain fog or anything. You'll get a thousand different things and you'll get a thousand different studies and exactly. charts that'll tell you which which supplement is better. I know and this one will tell you the complete opposite of the last one you read. So you just you can just I don't know I don't even know how you figure it out anymore. You just got to go with gut and your doctors and and you come up with some sort of plan. But uh, yes, yeah. and you have to you know there isn't a book that says if you have a mentally retarded child, this is what you do and this is how it works out. I didn't even have parents to talk to me about sex or relationships or anything, yeah. and I'm supposed to figure out how I to raise a son who's going to be intellectually disabled his whole life and with along with a, a array of other disorders sure. um which which number of like you have five kids you have what, what number does he come in 
He is number four. Okay, so you had experience he was with fourth children, in line. but I'm sure you weren't prepared for this because this is totally different. Well, you know, when you read the book, it tells you I didn't even know he was mentally retarded. I've got to tell you this until uh, he was tested. Guy, what was he? He was in. Um, there, what happened was there was actually in. Um, gosh, was he? I think a freshman in high school, he was always in a special needs class. The doctors always told me that he was slow, but he would catch up. He's just a, a lagger boy, right? Sure. So I believe that he was slow, but he'd catch up. And so I never, um, you know, I never called him, babied him. I was as tough on him as I was with the rest of my kids. Um, but there was an incident that happened when he was in school. So here we are, we hit high school. And I think he was a freshman in high school, if I remember correctly. And he was being bullied out on the field. So at lunchtime, the special needs kids in the class, he was had an IEP always and was in this class. And he'd go out to the field at lunchtime and he'd watch the other kids who'd play soccer or whatnot. Well, apparently uh, there was a uh, one boy and other kids, I guess, that followed him that would bully Maddie every day on the field. And it became he didn't know what to do about it. It became unbearable. So in his mind, he thought, okay, I'm going to, when I go home, uh, he decided after, I don't know how many months it had been going on, he was going to get his sister's uh, pocket fishing knife. And I don't know if you know what a pocket fishing knife, but it's yep. about two inches long. It's teeny tiny. And it folds into like a one inch. Yeah. I can't remember if it was one inch or two inches, but it's teeny tiny little it was a fishing pocket knife. It's the cut line. Cut line right. He was going to take that to school. Now, this is his thinking. And if that boy starts bullying him again with his friends, he's going to take that out and scare him. And he's never going to bother him again. Now, that was his way of, you know, protecting himself. He didn't know what else to do. Makes sense. Well, this is when we lived in California. In California, there is a zero tolerance policy for any weapons hmm. of any kind. And so Maddie, the kid comes up, starts bullying him. He pulls that out. The kid runs and gets the teacher. They call the police and they haul him off in handcuffs to jail. So I go pick him up. I get the paperwork. We go to court. Um, the judge threw it out of court. You know, he's intellectually disabled. He, you know, it was just one of those situations. But I was called in by the school psychologist. I think it was school psychologist, psychiatrist. I always get them confused. And she said, can you, can I ask you what your doctors have told you about Maddie? And I said, yeah, they, they said he's a little bit slow, but he'll catch up one day. And she said, she pulls out a blank piece of paper and she draws a line down the middle of the paper. And she said, this line that I've just drawn represents average or what we call normal intelligence, IQ. She says, if I go just a, a line above it, that's higher intelligence or a higher IQ. But if I draw a line underneath this line, that description is mild mental retardation or below intelligence. And I believe your son is there or a little bit below. And I could have fallen out of my chair when she told me that. It was the first I've heard of it. Anybody said anything to me? She goes, I'd like to send you and Maddie to an institute that will run tests and they'll last all day. And they'll tell us 
you know, where your son lies and it'll be free, no charge. Before you go on, like, what was his, like, functionality? Because I I think a lot of people have this misconception of everybody who's mentally retarded. They just make noises, they bob back and forth. But what was he, his verbal cues, Mm -hmm. like, was he relatively, you know, all there? He physically, to look at him, looked as normal as anybody else. He's tall, thin, blonde hair, looked like anybody else, blue eyes, right? Okay. And then... You, you knew something was off when you'd go to talk to him because he, he has extreme difficulties in certain areas. No, he doesn't babble. He doesn't drool. He's not in a wheelchair. He's, you know, he, he wasn't low functioning mental retardation. He, he was a higher functioning. Um, he could never uh, graduate and get a, a high school diploma. They allowed him uh, to go to school till he was 22. And he just couldn't do it. Um, I think his math was uh, fifth or sixth grade level in there was as high as he could get. Reading, he was able to get like ninth or tenth grade level. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to complex situations, relationships, um, something that involves two or more steps, he would be, he becomes confused, stressed, disoriented. Um, so he went to this facility. And after all the tests came back, this is what those doctors all concluded. They said that he had something called adjustment disorder with mixed anxiety, with depressed moods, attention deficit with hyperactivity disorder, um, which is ADHD mm-hmm. combined type, uh, mild mental retardation. Uh, he also had part of that, they thought, was from a brain injury due to lack, lack of oxygen at birth because he had the umbilical cord wrapped around him. He had encephalitis when he was young, which is something you can die of, which is in the brain. Um, immune deficiencies, uh, Barrett's esophagus disease. And then they labeled him with psychosocial stressors, difficulty in establish, establishing and maintaining any kind of friendship because of what's involved with that. You have to be able to maneuver when you talk to people and, and understand them and he doesn't have that ability to do that. And then the last thing they said was he has an impairment in reality testing with communication, a major impairment in several areas such as work, school, family relationships, judgment, thinking, or mood. These were his diagnosis at whatever age that was. I think he was 18 uh, or so around in there, 17 or 18 when he had those. And that was from all day with many different tests and many different doctors. And he had many of those tests years later. But the fact that here and and during those days, there wasn't anything or anybody that says, oh, he can be a part of this. You need to have him be a part of this. Or there's somewhere you can go. I had no clue. You know, I raised him like I did the rest of my kids. And they said probably the best thing I ever did was for him was to not know that he had mental retardation until much later <clears throat> because he got to go as far as he could. And I didn't baby him or coddle him and yeah. kind of hold him back from gonna, being the be- best potential he could be. I was going to ask you, like, when you actually got all those diagnoses and everything, like, that probably made you feel horrible. Like, just as a, I mean, obviously you love him, but also, like, you, there was, I'm sure there was a small party that was just like, I wish I didn't know all this because it changed everything. You know, the part that made me feel horrible was the fact that 
I, I think in my head, maybe things would have been different for him if I had known sooner. But every single pediatrician and, and general doctor that I took him to, oh, he's a little slow, he'll get better. And that was never going to happen. And, and it never did happen. And then you're dealing with a grown man who physically has the same needs and desires and ailments and issues as any other grown man. But the mind isn't where the body is at and is never going to be there. And it's like, you don't think about those things. You know, it's just not a part of, I'm working a full-time job. I'm a single parent and I have these kids I'm raising and you're just in survivor mode. Okay, is your homework done? Are you doing this? So-and-so has a baseball game. You know, you're just going from moment to moment. And now you find this information out after Maddie's basically grown. Um. But they find out, tell me, you know, he can never live on his own. Mm-hmm. You know, he can never drive a vehicle. You know, you start learning this afterwards, after years of people telling you, oh, you know, he's slow, but he's going to catch up. I can't tell you how many times people told me that, but I think they based a lot of that on his physical capacity and that he could speak. He's a very nice guy. He's a very kind person. Yeah. Um, but he can't, his judgment is not there. It's you know, I remember one of the questions that, that was asked to him, and this really opened people's eyes. And the question was, so Matthew, if you have a son and he's having an argument with his mother and they're having a bad argument and they're screaming and yelling, they're in the kitchen. And the son says, uh, you shouldn't have said that. You should have never said that. You need to stop saying, telling me what to do. You should never say that. And the son goes, And he goes in his bedroom and he gets a gun and he comes into the kitchen and he tells his mother, you need to stop telling me what to do. And the mother says, you need to stop telling me this is my home. You know, and the son turns around and he shoots the mother. So what do you think about that, Matthew? And Matthew's response is the, the mother should have listened to the son. Look at what he did. And so his understanding, Understanding is that all oh, this would have never happened if he should have listened to his son. He does, he does can't judge. He cannot pull things apart. He cannot figure things out yeah. when they're critical, life threatening. He might not be able to take the whole. He might have like half of the story might be gone now. He might just only have the second half. So he's, right, he's just gone with. Well, they're arguing, and she should have just right. listened. Yeah, that makes it, sense. exactly. He just and it was so shocking to me. I was like. Wow. Okay. Um, and so that's pretty much um, the story of Matt so far as his growing up and then finding out his diagnosis, not until 18 years later. You know, now what? Now what do you do? Um, we tried many, many jobs for him to try and get um, from about 18 to 22, many different jobs. And he, it was painful. It just, wasn't working. And uh, so he went on social security disability um, and trying to figure things out for him was not easy. And then that brings us to, um, you know, at a certain point, um, we have the SWAT team showing up at my house one day. Before, before, you, before and, you go to um, because I, I, there's a question yeah. I want to ask you. Was there sure. any bit of you, because, you know, in the beginning we talked about just, you know, who you were and all the mistakes you made and all, again, you're a kid, so lack of guidance with parents and the thing and all that. 
was there a part of you that felt like everything that happened to him might have been your fault? Because and I'm not saying it is, but like mothers, that's a mother thing to do. And, you know, may, and let's, let's say maybe bad choices with men. You, you, can, you can run the gamut of all the stupid thoughts that go down your head of why his situation is your fault, even if it's not. Um, but yeah, did you ever have that thought? Like, okay, like his situation is my, is my fault. Um, not when he was growing up, but definitely when the situations arose, why I wrote my book that I felt as a parent that I, I should have figured something out. I should have found a way I should have known. definite guilt to this day. Very hard for me to talk about without a lump in my throat. Um, there, there should have been a way. Um, before that, him growing up, I, I did not feel like I did anything wrong. You know, I was working, I held him accountable like all the other kids. He did played soccer as a kid, like any other kids, but he couldn't even do that because of the way his mind was. They just didn't want him on the team because he had troubles with that coordination and, you know, different things like that, even though he looked like everybody else, but no, not, not growing up. I, you know, I understood, I realized. You know, he was who he was, not out of any fault of mine, but the things that happened later, I felt that I should have been able to find a different. I mean, I I feel both both of your pain because I've been on, I've been more where your son has been, but I've I've seen what my mom had to go through with me. And and, and a lot of where I can see myself in, in his shoes is obviously the disability part, but mainly the the constant people telling you, like giving you no hope, like their answers for you are no answers. It's just like, well, he can get this and he can do that. Like, you know, I was told I was going to die when I was a kid when I was, you know, cause I nearly did die. Um, you know, I told I was going to already had lost my sight. I was going to be told a lot of things and, and that I would never be all there and right. And because of so, cause I, I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I know you don't know a lot about me, but a lot of my skin, all my skin burned off. My hair fell. It was a lot of, to a really horrible reaction. Uh-huh. And that's what caused my, my sight problem as well. Um, but I, I, was, oh, I wow. was, you know, I, I, I didn't go to special school. I actually ended up being an all AB student in high school. Um, but I didn't go oh, to wow. a school that was all visually, uh, mostly visually impaired. It was half and half, but I was so smart or too smart, at least for the, for the visually impaired classes, because, uh, in a lot of ways they were special classes because depending on the teacher, some, I had one teacher that was really good and she was really advanced and she taught us and she read and, and got us into really more advanced math and stuff. But when I went to like when I went to fourth grade to fifth grade, my fifth grade class was teaching fourth grade work. It was just the same old stuff. So I was so ahead of it because I had already learned it last year. And so then they put me into a what they call a non-VI class, a non-visually impaired class. Um, I was lost because I wasn't learning this stuff and I was so behind and, and you know, I felt really stupid. Oh, wow. And and then if I, I had some teachers and some people who really cared about me that pushed me to go to this really good high school, which I didn't have a grades for. Um, so there was a long time wow. of me trying to find a place where I even fit in and of course working and a lot of stuff. Uh, now mm. I'm just very hard headed and stupid that I'm just, I'm not going to take anyone's shit and I'm just going to do my thing and I'm going to work cause I do work and I have my own place. And, but I, I, you know, it took a long time to me to ever get here. And there's a lot of, even like now I'm, I'm I have one more shot at getting an eye surgery. I'm going to Cincinnati, Ohio in about a month. Oh wow! That's my last shot at a cornea transplant. It's the guy who invented it. It's the only one. They give me a ten percent chance I'll even do anything. But it's it's you know how many oh, wow. like good news for me when I go to the eye doctor is no news at all because my eyes don't get mm. better. You know, there's a lot of things with me just yeah. don't get better. So mm. 
it's the whole fitting in and just trying to preserve some goodness in your life. You're so used to hearing Absolutely. bad news. And again, I, I'm more mentally there than your son is. So I can, I can bear a lot of, that's where the mental health comes from. Whereas I can bear yeah. a lot of what he can and I can understand and realize what's going on. And to some degree, I wish I didn't because it is really, yeah. it's harsh and it, it hits you really hard. But yeah, I feel a lot yeah. of, of his story of, because I, I get like, when you, 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 even as a mother, you're trying to find a place for where he'll just fit in and, and, and you know, he can work and he can yeah. do this and you want to prove everybody wrong. But everyone around yeah. you is just saying, eh, there is none. Yeah. And you're like, well, yeah. there's something, yeah. there is something, but it, there's not enough people that guiding you in the right direction. And it sucks because this is like what you said yeah. off, off mic the, uh, earlier about, you know, this stuff isn't talked about. And if it was talked about more, yeah. your son would have probably had a more fruitful life. Because we could, exactly. we could do something about it, but um, but go ahead. Exactly. I know you were you were getting to the whole SWAT and, and coming to your house. I was that. wondering if it would be possible for us to continue this another time. I'm not going to door from the SWAT. Well, actually, I was on my way to work in my vehicle, and at that time, I was married. So it was my my ex husband, and I got a call from my friend who lived across the street, and she says you need to get back home right away. And um, nobody knew what was going on. And I showed up and um, the street was completely blocked off. They had a um, SWAT, um, what do you call that? Like a mobile, um, mobile home. <laughs> so a huge, giant, whatever you call that SWAT team trailer. And then they had just, dozens and dozens of the FBI, the SWAT team, the police department. And I literally, because nobody would tell anybody what was going on, I literally thought somebody died, that something happened at my house. Hmm. And uh, they just made everybody wait outside. And, um, you know, I let them know that my children are outside, you know, what's going on? They said, well, well, your mom, I said, yeah. And they said, everybody's fine. Just hang on tight. And um, finally, uh, they pulled me into their trailer and um, they had said that, um, do I know of anybody in the house that would be looking at child pornography? And I said, what? I, I mean, I was just in shock. I couldn't believe it. And I said, no, I don't know anybody that would be looking at child pornography. And they said, um, okay, well, we've got a hit you know, on an IP computer at your home that child pornography went into that IP address. Mm. And so I had no clue what they were talking about. And um, then uh, one of the people, because they were searching the house and everything, they came back, they said they found the computer and then they called me back in and they said, um, is your son Matthew? And I said, yes. And they said, well, we found this on your son's computer and he was actually set up in a sting operation uh, in a chat room where uh, people normally, when they go to this chat room, it's almost, it's like a pornography site, like a regular adult pornography site. Mm -hmm. And then they try to entrap uh, people into going and looking at child pornography. And I'm like, what is just I was just in complete shock. And so he said, now, we didn't find it on the, your son's computer. It looks like it was just deleted. 
so I asked them if I could go talk to my son and they said, yes. So I went, I said, Matt, you know, do you know anything about this? And he says, well, I was in a chat room and, you know, there's a lot of people talking and saying different things. And there was one text on there kept saying, you've got to go look at this. You have got to go look at this. You're not going to believe it. You have to go look. You're going to miss out if you don't go look at it. So being the um, obsessive compulsive person that he is, he had to go see what everybody was talking about. And he said he, when he went to go look at it, he couldn't look at it unless he downloaded it. So he pushed the button to download in the minute in the state of Arizona that you download something, um, that's, it's uh, over for you. Um, and so he went and looked at it and he thought, what, what is this? And he said he just deleted it because it was uh, children, very small children, pornography. And he just thought that was very strange. And so he didn't think anything of it. And this had happened, I want to say, five or six months prior to them uh, coming to the house. They had set all this up. And so then they came back out and they said, um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your son? So I tried to explain to them um, that my son is intellectually challenged, blah, blah, blah. Does he drive? No, he can't drive. Um, and so they searched everything and they came back and they said, you know, it's very strange because in his room, we found the whole episodes of Harry Potter books. And then he's got a special Olympics medals that he won at the Special Olympics. He goes, we didn't find anything, no pornography, no nothing. And I'm like, yeah, I, it sounds like he was in a situation that he doesn't know how to maneuver himself around um, or understand. And so, you know, I talked to my son, I asked him how it happened. And then he had told me that, you know, I was in this chat room and they said, you got to look at this. And he goes, I guess I shouldn't have looked at it. And I said, yeah, I, I go, Matt, did you know that if you look at child pornography, it's illegal. That's not a thing. And he goes, I didn't know that. I didn't know anything. And so anyway, that's how it happened. Which is, and they, which is weird, but I mean, for the average person, like to listening, like you would immediately assume a person was lying, but obviously with his intellect, he probably is yeah. telling the truth. That's, that's the crazy part. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, just the whole thing, you know, it's just sad because, you know, people who have a problem, you know, whether it's with pornography, whether it's with child pornography, no matter what the problem is, you know, usually there's other signs of it. Right. And, or, you know, they're in contact with human beings, you know, um, people who like children try to contact children. And there was no contact. It was fully set up, fully set up. Um, you know, there was no, uh, on the phone conversations, there was no, let's meet you. There was, there was none of that. It was, it was maneuvering in a chat room, which he does not have the skill or ability on many different levels to understand what's going on. Now, maybe somebody else would, um, and then maybe some sick people who are so, you know, sick with whatever their problem is, can't see past that and want to see whatever it is that people are talking about. But anyway, it was quite disturbing. Um, they took him off to jail. I was extremely uh, worried for him because of who he is. And so I called down to the jail and I explained to the person I was talking to, I said, can you please check on him? I'm concerned for his safety. And so they said, yes, I'll call you back. So I got a call about, 
45 minutes later and the lady said that she went and asked him if he knew where he was. And he said, I'm, I think I'm in prison. I'm in prison. Right. And she said, no, this is jail. And, um, he just, uh, didn't really grasp the gravity of the situation. I don't believe. And so, um, I was able to bail him out, um, the next day, I believe, I don't remember how quickly I was able to do it, but I was able to bail him out. And I think I went through, um, gosh, 10 or 15, um, what do you call them? Uh, where you, where you try to have somebody where you do bail. I forget what you call those people that do that. Yeah, I know what you mean. But, uh, they're, you know, they wanted all the money up front and I didn't have them. I was a single parent basically at that time even though I was still married and I we just didn't have the money so I found this one place and it was just somebody watching out for me and uh, they said they would take payment and I was like oh my gosh it was the only one and I but I explained the situation to them and so they did it and I took care of my end and made those payments and I was able to get Maddie out and um then my problem was because my um, daughter lived with me with my grandchildren, they would have had to either go find somewhere else to live or Maddie had to go find somewhere else to live oh, because of the situation. There couldn't, he couldn't be around children at that time in their opinion. And so, um, and then at that time, Isabel and Isaiah were both under 18 still, even though they were in high school. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Well, my ex had just moved out and uh, had a rental home, a four-bedroom rental home, and nobody was in it with him. So he's like, here, just let him come stay with me, not a problem. And so that was just meant to be also. So he was able to go to his address and stay there. And, um, and then every day I'd get off of work and I would come home, make dinner, feed the kids, and then I'd drive over to my ex's house and feed Maddie dinner and either play a game or talk with him for a while. And then I did that for months and months and months. This went on and uh, it had to go through the court system. Well, in the state of Arizona, the, the laws are extremely high. You basically have to be drooling and in a wheelchair for them to consider you incompetent. Hmm. And, um, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I, I I really was concerned about getting a public defender. I had heard a lot of things about not just having a public defender, but to get somebody with a specialty that can handle that. And so I started looking around. I was telling my friend across the street, I said, Jody, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have the money for this. I'm making payments, you know, on $10,000 right now um, that I don't have. And the next day she called me over to her house and she said, I'm going to give you uh, $50,000 to get an attorney. And uh, I said, what? She was, I want to give you $50,000 to get an attorney because this isn't right. And I won't be able to continue on with my life if you don't let me help you. And so I thought about it and I thought, I guess I don't really have many options. Um, and I felt like that was a huge gift. And I found an attorney out of California who specializes in um, defendants that are intellectually challenged and situations like this. Mm. 
And um, he said, you know, I don't have a license for Arizona. I have a license for California, but I could get one. And I would require that you have to pay for when I come out and stay at a hotel out there and whatever else. So instead of 50000 it ended up being sixty or 65000 by the end of, you know, this trial and everything that went on. But he agreed to take the case. He, he felt it was unjust. And uh, we had to go to three different doctors for Maddie. The prosecutor's side has a doctor, and then there's a defense side doctor. And then there's a third doctor, I guess, that will split the difference, I guess. And, um, you know, they felt that he was, you know, one felt he was very incompetent and the other one felt that, you know, according to Arizona laws and the prosecutor's side, you know, he's, he's on the borderline there. And, and then there was another doctor who didn't know what the heck he was talking about. And I just thought those kinds of things only happened in movies that they made up. But this one doctor went in to testify that, you know, I, I think he's, you know, competent enough to stand trial. And the judge asked him, why do you feel that way? And then my attorney said, why would you think he's competent enough to stand trial? And he says, well, if he can drive a vehicle and, and my attorney says, drive a vehicle. Why do you think he drove a vehicle? He says, well, in my report, when I met with him, he said he worked for a pizza place. <laughs> and I thought he said he drove, pizza, you know, delivered pizzas. And so then they had to call me in the courtroom. Has he ever driven? Has he ever owned a license? I said, no, never in his life. And they said, well, they, he's delivered pizzas is what them. I said, he's never delivered pizzas. He cleared tables and swept floors. And, you know, he, the owner had a, a physically handicapped son and they, they knew Maddie and they wanted him to work there because they knew he couldn't do a lot of things. Mm. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable that these kinds of things are going on. So then they, to split hairs, sent my son to a court-ordered doctor to see if they could make him competent. And I'm like, I never understood. You're going to see if you can teach my son who has uh, mental retardation, brain damage. You're going to see. Now, he went to school for 22 years, could not get a diploma. But now you think you can teach him enough where he's competent now. So I, I thought the that problem was, at the time, though, they're trying to figure out if he's competent currently. Why are they trying to make him competent now? To stand trial so they can send him to jail because to prison, oh. because in Arizona, uh, if you download something like that, the sentence is 12 years right. minimum, right. 12 years. And so if you're in another state, it could be handled a totally different way. It depends on what state you live in. So you don't ha it doesn't so, matter if you're competent at the time of what you got in trouble for? Exactly. It, you know, in these situations, competency does determine whether or not if it's an automatic sentence. They don't take, there is no account for the intellect. Now, he went and saw this lady for, I can't, it was either three or four months, every single week. He, she taught him, this is a jury, this is the judge, this is the prosecutor, this is the defense. She teaches him all that stuff. By the end of three to four months, she said he's incompetent. So they came back, and just before Christmas, um, they dropped the case. They dropped the case. So he got to come home. And before he came home, I went to computer places to see about getting security on my the computers. I went, 
I researched on the internet everywhere I could think of. I called Social Security Disability. I called uh, Intellectual. But I called, I did my best to try and find avenues to try and find some help for my son. Other places, maybe somewhere he could go during the day. There aren't any here. Somewhere that, um, you know, he could produce anything. There's nothing. What do you mean by what, what kind of help did you want him to have? Well, you know, when you have a grown man at home all day and he doesn't have a job, getting a job was extremely challenging. We tried so many. Nobody wants to hire somebody like him. Um, he He's not smart enough to run a cash register. He's not smart enough to deal with people. Um, can he wash dishes? I tried to get him. We tried to get different jobs for him, but, you know, they just weren't going to hire him. And so it was challenging trying to find him things to do in the daytime. And so here I am working a full-time job. I've got other kids. And uh, I just had no avenues of entertainment. Uh, somebody to basically babysit, you know, a 30-year-old man. It, it, it just was not, the, the avenues weren't there. You know, you can get young teenagers to babysit, but grown people wanting to babysit a 30-year-old guy, that. I have never even seen that. I tried to find things. There were none. And, and there's this need, and apparently there's a lot of guys out there like Maddie, a lot, that are challenged, that can't live on their own, and can't drive, and a lot of them have trouble getting jobs or keeping jobs. And it's like, what do you do with these individuals? They're human beings with, you know, hearts and feelings and thoughts in grown bodies yeah. but they they can't make it on their own and they can't you know people don't want to take care of them unless they're massively um challenged you know like where they corral them and put them in a room or watch tv or yeah, you know caregivers and, and all that yeah right but there's just uh, there's a huge need and i've already i've already been approached um, with regards to two, two different possibilities of making some changes, one would be in our communities in having a facility where parents or families can take their uh, mildly intellectually disabled, where they can't go out and live on their own individuals, but yet they're smart enough where, you know, they need some form of, they need something to do. Uh, a facility where they can go, maybe where parents work, but they can't really afford it. You know, I had a lot of kids. There wasn't a lot of money to keep paying for this, 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 and this. The money ran out at a certain point. And um, so that was one. And then the other thing that came up was um, the education system. You know, instead of saying your kid's slow and they're going to catch up one day, being able to find those kids that are challenged right away and offering uh, support somehow in direction to parents and to families. Um, those are the areas. And then the other thing was um, in my own neighborhood, there's a guy that does cybersecurity for corporations. And I have um, a huge desire to reach out to him to see if he can help me come up with something where it can allow, because kids like Maddie, I say kids, she's 37 years old, uh, challenge individuals like Maddie, they love games. They love entertainment and they can go where they're comfortable with that. And but dealing with people is very hard for them. And I wanted to talk to this guy about 
can we have computers that don't hook up to an internet, but maybe can hook up to friends who other intellectually challenged kids and where they can play games and they can, cause they want that, but they, it's too dangerous for them to be searching on the internet. You know, they think they're smart enough, but they're not smart enough. So I am doing my best to find other avenues. Um, now, my son currently, this happened again, and this is the reason I wrote the book. I had gone and I was told that, you know, my, the computer he's on, this should be good to go. You know, can't go onto the internet with it. I did all those things that parents do, but when you don't know much about that stuff, you don't think about it. But I had a smart TV in a guest bedroom that has like a iPad connected to the internet, but for that TV in the guest room, never occurred to me, never thought about it. Five years after this first incident happened and it was all dropped, he was talking to somebody, I don't know who, and they said something, you got to go check this out on the internet. And he said, you know, I think I have a, with the smart TV, have the iPad thing, does that go to the internet? And they told him yes. So he went to that and it happened again. He did, it was a different avenue, um, but it happened exact same thing happened again. And, I don't and even, this like, time, as a, like as a regular, like a person who's really good on the internet, I really don't even know how you bump into stuff like that. Now, yeah, you could search it, and I know there's the dark web where you can really find it. And mm-hmm. It's much easier and all that. But I mean, for a person who's just kind of somebody yeah. tells you where to go, that's yeah, so, really what it comes down to. Yeah, I just haven't bumped into anybody in my life that just said, hey, you know, go here. And, I, of course, I wouldn't go. Mm-hmm. But, man, I mean, two well, times, that's, wow. In your, the chat room, they told him exactly where to go. They gave him the link. I mean, that's, they, they set him up to do that. Now, where's the he getting the chat time, rooms from, though? Is like, are these, like, phone services? Oh, it was, it was adult, it was pornography chat rooms. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying, adult. like, where, where the people that he's meeting that are, are pointing him in this direction, where, where is he meeting them at? Oh, the second time that I don't know. Okay. They, I, I never found out any very much on the second round because it was during the COVID. The courts were closed, mm-hmm. and so I couldn't go. I never once was able to go in the courtroom okay. to find out anything, to do anything. I was not allowed. To, nobody was allowed to go in there, okay. and so everything was coming secondhand to me. I never got anything. Never received anything. I would couldn't afford, of course the attorney the second time so it became a public defender the second time but the second time they decided that um he's competent if it happened again then he's competent and um and he went away to prison wow. and i'm like i don't know how i could have stopped this you know unless we take away the phone you know you have a little flip phone so that wasn't connected to the internet i don't know who it was talking to but i never got to find out exactly how he knew to go to where he was told to go on there because his computer was not hooked up to the internet. Mm. So that's something that's left open that I don't want to ask him on a phone when he calls me from prison. Um, But it's, it's a problem because he's just smart enough to go searching and things. He's like a curious kid, but at the same time, he doesn't understand the complexity of what certain situations, what's going to happen. I mean, it's ridiculous what can happen to you. So now is he um, going to have to serve the 12 years? Oh, yeah. 
he's already been there for three years now. Wow. Yeah. How's he doing? And I talked to, I forget what they call them, not the warden who runs the whole place, but they have like, I think it's case manager or something like that over so many individuals. And one day I had to talk to him because Maddie's on several different medications. And he said, you know, I have other guys, just like five or six guys, just like Matt in here. He says, and they shouldn't be in here. They shouldn't be here. And this is a man who works in the system. And he said, you know, this is, it's an epidemic. And it's with these guys who they, they have low functioning abilities to maneuver in conversations, situations, but they want to have a friend. They want to be able to feel like they're normal, you know, like everybody else and be in a little chat room and all that. So he said, yeah, there is just a real problem that there's a lot of guys just like him. He says he, he has like five or six others that are just like him and they should not be in there. It serves no purpose. Wow. It's not like they're going to be healed and made whole. Yeah. How, how is he so, doing in there right now? Is he doing okay? Um, he's doing better now. We were having a problem about six months ago. Uh, they He was assigned to a room with an older man who was just uh, making his life miserable. He'd call me crying all the time, crying. So uh, I said, I want you to put in for a transfer. And then I got a hold of the case manager and they finally got it done and they were able to move him. They were, they were just torturing him, you know, throwing things at him, throwing things on his bed, uh, calling him names, telling him that um, you can't really be that stupid. Are you really that stupid? You know, just when you have to live with that, all day, every day, you know, it's just bully bullying in a different, in a different venue, you know, um, just torturing them. And finally they moved him, uh, to a room with somebody he hadn't met before he had even gone to prison. Mm -hmm. And it was somebody that was kind to him. It was a guy that understood him and was kind to him. And so he was very happy when that happened and, um, and he was moved, but there were some challenges. There were some, some challenges and nothing can make it better. He's not going to change who he is. You know, it's uh, yeah. strange to, to me it? that this, we, you can't, I mean, we could, but it, it won't work. My, the attorney, uh, when he found out it happened the second time, he goes, why didn't you call me? I said, John, I, I don't have $60,000. I, I can't even begin. I mean, I killed myself to pay that off the last time. I said, I don't even have that same job anymore. I got laid off from it. And he goes, well, then he wanted to read my book, of course. And so he read my book and then he called me and he said, wow. He goes, this upsets me because something's not right with us. He goes, how can the courts, the doctors, everybody say you're incompetent. And because it happened a second time, no human being was involved, but you're going to throw him away for 12 years because why? Now you found him confident. How could you find him confident? I he goes this this he says it smells. That's his words. And I said yeah. So I realized that I need to. Um, you know, I, there's other moms and dads out there, family members who are just like me. They're trying to work their hearts and souls out to support their family, and then one of the family members is intellectually challenged, and the, it doesn't get better. They don't become confident. He's not confident. You know, you, you ask him today, okay, <clears throat> what are all the different pieces in a courtroom? He wouldn't be able to tell you today. So I don't know 
how they base their decision or whatever, but it's like, okay. Um, you know, so then the choice is, what do I do now? Do I just wait until the time's up and then it comes out? And, you know, what do I do? What do I do now? So I was like, okay, I'm going to just tell my story, write the book. And it sucks because, you know, I've had some people say, well, what kind of a parent would allow that to happen a second time? What kind of human being would allow, knowing what happened, how could you possibly have allowed that to happen? Why didn't you do something? It's like, what was I supposed to do? I searched. I tried to find any and everything to help me. I didn't find anything. Yeah. You know, I it could tell me. I found a place in another state where guys just like him, where they lived in a home. But this home loves him and wants him here. But there is no place here that he can go to in the daytime. There is nobody here that wants to come babysit a grown man. There's, there's no uh, activities that somebody like him gets to be involved with. Um, it's just, it's an unfair situation. It's like, okay, how can I make this better? How can I make it different for the next family, for the next Maddie? And I'm not sure what the answer is. I, nobody's told me. You know, nobody suggested to me, they, you know, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of judging and then there's a lot of people who get it, who understand, yeah. but a lot of people don't have an intellectually challenged son or grew up with one or understand, you know, it's not that he's just mentally retarded. He has compulsive, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. And when you have compulsivity disorder, you know, a small child who wants to get into a Christmas package, they're going to find a way no matter how many times you tell them, don't do that. Because that compulsivity is, is very strong. And, um, and I think with Matt, when he was, you know, looking at pornography, he's in a grown body that relax, reacts like any other grown body. But his mind, you know, he's never been with anybody or had a girlfriend or, or any of that. And so I think it's easily, it's easy to manipulate somebody like that. And right or wrong, you know, whatever anybody judges, no matter what, I know that my job is to find ways to, to offer solutions, figure something out, see if somebody has an idea, see if I can make a difference somehow. So this doesn't happen to somebody else. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, I mean, yes. Oh yeah. Well, like for you, I yeah. mean, you didn't see it coming and even though, I mean, no, your not story out there not will help, but as much as you're lamenting, like what, what he, it, went through and what he did and all that like none of these parents are gonna ever ever see this coming whether and again it might not even be child porn it might be something else but exactly it, 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 it this is just a setup for them to and again obviously it depends on your state and all that but how many people have enough exactly. research and understanding of what someone who is considered mentally retarded you know again like I said earlier, exactly. that's why I asked you about what his functionality was because a lot of people think yep. someone who's mentally retarded is just a person who bobs back and forth and they moan and they make sounds. Exactly. And that's not it because I think people just think, well, you can talk. Oh, you're not dumb. But that's, again, exactly. that's not what it is. There's so much more. There's so many layers to it that I think people just haven't even tried to peel back and even figure out what else is in there. Um, because people, exactly. are, people live on a surface level. They, they know, you know, the, 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 the small and the big, they, they don't know a whole lot. They just go, okay, that's this. And that's that. 
Okay. I know what it is. You know, it's the whole black and white, but there's always a gray area, but no one ever really goes into the gray area. They just go, oh, it's black or it's white. That's it. There's no other thing. Exactly. Like, that's not it. Like, it, there's so much exactly. to it. Exactly. And with the lack of research and lack of knowledge on exactly specific type of people, this shit is going to happen over and over. Oh, yeah. Well, he's in there with uh, five or six other guys just like him. What does that say? It's like, and, and when you have the case manager works at the prison day in and day out telling you he doesn't belong here. They, there's, I have uh, five or six other guys just like him. They don't belong here. But he goes, I spend a lot of time trying to protect them. Guys from stealing from them, from hurting them, from doing things to them, from manipulating them. That's nice to know that there's somebody who cares enough to, to give a crap, to to make sure that they're watching out for them. They can only do so much. Yeah. They can only do so much. Yeah. I mean, and if it was a movie, you would just think it's like a frame job. Like it's a weird thing, like where you just go, okay, like mm -hmm. something doesn't add up. And at the end of the story, it'll all be better, but this is real life. Right. And yes. it doesn't play well, out. Well, you know, if you're, in, if you're in another state and you physically go meet a child or you're talking to a child on the phone, or you're corresponding with the child, um, even with, you know, grown men who go meet children in other states, they don't serve 12 years in prison. Right, it, yeah. It's not a thing. Arizona and Hawaii, I was told, are the top two states that have the stiffest penalties, and there should be stiff penalties sure. for child tomorrow. Absolutely. But I would think that you would want predators, people who are seeking and searching out or meeting or something to do. But getting lost on the internet where you're setting them up, that for and, and then you're not even separating the intellectually disabled with those who are normal intellect. Yeah. I, it just doesn't seem well, if you right. Were, if you remember, I mean, they had that Dateline show. What was it? To catch a predator, and like, uh -huh. a lot of those guys didn't really go to jail. They just were busted. They were humiliated. Some of them killed themselves. Some of them did get arrested because mm -hmm. they were real offenders. But a lot of them were just embarrassed, and and they now were, you know, on that app where there's a dot on their house. Now people know of their activity. But yeah, a lot of them didn't really end up going to jail. So you right, know, and and what he did was very mundane. He's you know again, it's not right either way. But he didn't know better. So it's yeah, it's, right. Uh, and well, and he knew. It was not okay after the first incident. He was told this is not a thing. But when you are in his mind and you're dying to see what somebody wants you to see, you want to go see it. When you have compulsivity, it's very hard to stop your uh, impulses when somebody's telling you, you've got to check this out. You've got to look at this. No matter what, throwing him in jail doesn't solve anything. Right. It, it really doesn't solve a thing. I try to think of one thing it could solve. Um, you know, like he's going to learn his lesson. He knows what happened is wrong, that he's not supposed to do that. But would it keep him from not getting wrapped up in a situation like that again if it came across? You know, and then I'm like, okay, he comes home. Do all the computers go out of the house? We just have TV and that's it. I can never be on a computer. I live my whole life working from a computer out of my office in my home. Yeah. You know, you start going, okay, how can I? How, what do I have to do to protect him? Because he can't protect himself. So then it's like, okay, you know, what do I do? How do I do this? Um, there's got to be, there's got to be other people out there just like me and just like my son. Yeah. 
And I, I would like to be able to have some solutions where those individuals with this disability can have fun and live a life and not be threatened with entrapment. You know, in the state of Arizona, they call it a sting because then it's legal. If it's entrapment, entrapment is illegal. Yeah. To me, it's the same thing. Oh, sure. In other states, it's illegal. In Arizona, it's legal. Um, but, you know, my job, first job was to write the book. I said, I'm going to write this book, make people aware, and, you know, put myself out there, let people, you know, call me whatever they want to call me. But then I ask, I ask them, I ask everybody, what's your solution? I could tell me how I, what changes I can make in my society, my community, in the lot. How can I make it different? Yeah. You're what me- options you're can I offer my defeated son? And just, just to give up because they don't have answers because they don't know anything. So they're just like, well, this yeah. is the law. This is what it is. But it's like, when, when do we make progress? When do we actually learn? Like you get to 2022, you know, it's, it's like somebody will say something insensitive, whatever. And it's like, look, it's 2022. Are we still anti-gay or are we still anti something? Else? Like, exactly. can, we, can we like, pro- like we have progressed in certain areas. Can we really think about what, like some stuff is so obvious. I, I've, I've, I've said, you know, because I'm visually impaired, I've said sometimes the people that are blind in this world are the people that have perfect vision because some of the stuff yeah. that they see is so obvious. It's right in front of them. It's like, like with voting or, or anything, they do it yeah. just based on biases and stuff that's right there and they, they won't grasp it. They, they refuse to take in the knowledge that will give them a real point of view. Instead, they blindly just, take whatever it is they, they feel is comfortable or whatever their take is. And it's, it's so frustrating yeah. because it's like, you know, this isn't right. You know, it doesn't sound right. And the only way you're right. ever going to feel it's wrong is if it happens to you or someone you care about, then it, then it's mm-hmm. your problem. But now isn't this someone else's problem? Even, even like with the lawyer, it's like your lawyer that you have, it's like, well, you know, another 60 yeah. grand, maybe I could have done something, but it's like, really, man, like you, you know, it's not right. Like why does 60 grand make a difference? I get it. Everybody's got to make money and all that. But, well, but the ahead. truth is I didn't contact him when it happened the second time because I just knew I couldn't afford to do it. So he didn't even know it happened the second sure, time. Sure. But I mean, even the first time it's like, you know, I'm again, because uh, yeah. any smart person can see that from, from afar and you do enough. And again, it's his job to know and to do the research. He's got to, you know, take your, yeah. to take your case on. He's got to look into it. And then it's like, yeah. oh, okay, sure, this is sixty grand worth. Why not? And and again, I get it. it, it we live in the world where we we need money, and money runs everything. And it's sad, but it's like there's at some yeah. point where you just go like, man, like, does anyone have a heart in this world? Because it's it's <laughs> clearly this is like ridiculous. Again, you're doing because you're his mother. It's, it's very mm-hmm. obvious, but there's so many people like trying to sabotage somebody who's you know again mentally incompetent and. Look, yeah. again, no one's condoning any of the, the, the gross shit that people do in this world with children and animals and all that. It's it's horrible. But yeah. At the end of the yeah. day, like, I'd rather catch somebody doing child porn and they didn't com- they didn't do the ultimate sin of actually touching someone. And let's try to rehabilitate exactly. them. But we, we write people off as animals yeah. before we even ever yeah. give them a fair chance. And it's, exactly. it's, it's sad. And again, with him... This isn't even something he would ever delve into. But another thing I was thinking, like, imagine how many things people told him to go see that had nothing to do with any, like, illegal activity. It was just, hey, go watch this video yeah. of these girls dancing. Like, yeah. how many times that happened? It's just you don't have that documented because who cares? Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not exactly. pertinent to, to what's going on. But the, with this, like, 
I mean, yeah. I mean, it's very easy to catch people, and it, but I mean, and the thing is, there's there's millions of I don't know about millions, but there's thousands of people getting away with. It. There's kids being child trafficked all the time, mm-hmm. and it just keeps happening. And it's like, and then they come to some guy who just has a mental issue and unfortunately screwed up. But then there's people yeah. getting away with it all the time, just doing horrible shit. And you you hear about like even yeah. like even like the, the celebrity stuff, like like R. Kelly, where he's just having a cult full exactly. of women. Exactly. And it's like, exactly. ah, but it's R. Kelly. He's a talented. Yeah, he is exactly. talented. Exactly. That doesn't give him a, mm-hmm. I mean, the Cosby thing. I mean, I live in the state. They just let Cosby get mm-hmm. off. So mm-hmm. it's it's one thing. Harvey Weinstein, like, and again, it did, we're just going with the exactly. famous people. It, it keeps happening. And it's like, yep. well, it's because they're that. It's like, that's the thing. If you were a person of some power and, and notoriety, you knew people, you probably could get them a job and you probably could get them out of jail. You probably could do these things, but you don't, you don't have the, you don't have the, you know, the, the money, you don't have the way of, uh, you just don't know anybody to, to, you just don't have the resources. If you had the resources, exactly, sure. His life probably could have been better, but there's nothing you can do from a person who's making minimum wage money. You can't do anything. There's nothing like exactly. Yeah, I mean, you and you could catch some breaks, and you can meet some good people, like your friend who gave you money. I mean, there's stuff like that. Can yeah, there's some breaks, but man, there's a lot of even like with me just trying to do this podcast. Like I'm trying to get it where I get advertisers and certain things. It's hard because I don't know anybody. I haven't like I'm meeting people through the show, and I'm meeting a Uh lot of amazing people, and it has progressed, and you know the, the listenership and subscribers and stuff go up. But I mean, and it started from 10 people listening to a few hundred and stuff now, but it's constantly grinding. But like if I, you know, like I, I remember one time when I saw like Michelle Obama, when they got out of the White House, she got a podcast and she had like 2 million followers immediately. And it's like, oh, wow. and again, I'm not, it's not even a jealousy thing. It's just like, yeah, it's about who you know. And, you know, she's yes. not talking about anything special. She's not changing the world. She's just talking and whatever. It, it is what it is. There's plenty of podcasts just talking about nonsense. Um but it's yeah. like when you're a person that yeah. wants to help and you care so much, sometimes you, you, you stress out and you put so much effort into just trying to make some difference like what you're doing. And you spend so much time and, and you know, I'm glad you've been able yeah. to like really something like this with the book. Like that's awesome because there are people going to read it and it, it definitely will give them a different outlook on whether they were completely like a staunch supporter of let's put him in jail type of like those type of people. Oh yeah. Or, you know, this would open the minds of parents who have kids like yours. And it's just like, shit, I need to make sure I watch everything and and make sure I'm aware. So this doesn't happen to my kid. Yeah. You just don't think it can happen. You just don't, you know, you're so busy working or you're so busy taking care of other kids and you're so busy. You don't see it coming. I never saw it coming. It was shocking to me. Now, of course, the first time it happened, okay, I had to know that it could happen again. Well, how am I supposed to make that not happen again? I, you know, I took the precautions on the computer. You know, he had talked to people in playing games. Was I supposed to screen all the people he talked to, shut it down? You know, still trying to treat him like a human being in one sense. But yet, maybe because I should have become a dictator and said, nope, everything's out of your life and it's going to be like this and I'm shutting everything down. And, you know, it's, it's I, I'm hoping that somehow I can help other families who have a challenged family member like Mammy, Maddie. But I can't do that until I come up with solutions. I, I've got the problem here very clear. 
but I have to have solutions. And that, that is what I'm working on. I'm, I'm, I'd love for there to be a facility that parents can drop their intellectually challenged kids off during the day while they're at work where there's fun things to do. Yeah. Ping pong, maybe computers that are only hooked up to each other and you can only play the other person on the other side of the computer. Doesn't go to the internet, doesn't go anywhere. And they have people to play with. Yeah, That's part of the problem with these kids. They have no friends. Nobody wants to be friends with them. Nobody. Exactly. Your family members do. They care. But yeah. I was, that age, I was even thinking like off. video games, but like, like even mm-hmm. like old school video systems. But the problem is you can't play anybody but the people in your household. And if, uh-huh. you, and if you play with people online where you have the internet, but let's just say, because some of these you can't really like, like let's say a couple of generations ago, the internet, you couldn't really do much like web searching and stuff, but you still talk to people and there's still a lot of people that can encourage you to do certain things and all that. So you're uh-huh. kind of, and, you, and there's a lot of people on there just saying all kind of racist, some kind of horrible stuff on there. So you don't really want yeah. that either. And like I said, you can go back to the old generation consoles but the problem with that is you don't have anyone to play with. So exactly, it's yeah, it's really unfortunate because yeah, if, if there was a place for them to go, then you could have maybe those old type consoles or computers and stuff where you can have just the games, absolutely, and stuff and they could, or board games and all kind of things like that. But they could watch movies, they could play games, they could interact with other kids. You know, talk to human beings instead of being locked away all day in their room, which is what most of these kids do. I haven't met any exactly. Exactly. And most families have to work. Yeah. Most families have to work. You know, kids like that, they have special needs. And, you know, I call him a kid. He's 30 something years old. Um, they're still kids. <laughs> yeah. You know, they still don't understand. So anyway, that's, that's my goal. You know, if somebody wants to judge me for that, I'm all for it. Go right ahead. Yeah, but, silly. you know, if you're going to judge me, at least offer me a solution, an idea, a thought. I'll take anything, you know, yeah. let's, try to fix it instead of condemn. Can you uh, promote the book one more time? The title? Yes. It's called Behind Iron Bars. Intellectually Disabled and in Prison. Yeah. And you know, I was going to ask you in the very beginning what what the title meant, but now it makes total sense. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's funny because I, that's why I like to just talk to the person and learn. And, and, you know, I I looked up some of the stuff you were going to talk about, but I didn't see it all coming. That's a thing. Cause when you said like, Oh, he got yeah. out of it. It was like, Oh, okay. But I could have sworn he was in jail. And then, then it came again. Oh, it's like, Oh Jesus. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it actually uh, came five years later. Oh man. Wow. Five years. And it was on the entrapment, you know, it was on a sting set up. Uh, yeah. Same uh, thing. Uh, it just, yeah. It blows. What are you going to do? Um, but it is what it is. Yeah. Oh, I, I really appreciate you for telling your story. I enjoyed it. It's, uh-huh. Really Thank fun. you. I appreciate you having me on your show. I yeah. very much value that, and um, you're very kind. I appreciate what you do for those who are disabled. Uh, it's very important, and not not enough people want to work or support towards that. Yeah, because I, I mean, look, I mean, even your son is like a rare case, but also like, I mean, look, it's hard for me to get a job mental capability mm-hmm. or not my vision to a lot of people is is, is a liability they don't want to take yeah. me on because i you know god forbid i hurt myself or hurt someone else or blah 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 yeah. all these things you yeah. know continue to hire people that will constantly get fired or you know or quit a couple of weeks later when they find a job or they'll screw up yeah. uh they won't have the loyalty that a lot of people with disabilities do have and it's just 
it, it frustrates me because I know, you know, it's like seventy, it's like seventy five percent of us, seventy three percent of us are unemployed, and it's it's very yeah. unfortunate. And people, do, it's if seventy three percent or seventy five percent of any community, a black community, Asian community, anybody, it, there would be riots in the street if if all of a sudden just yeah. they couldn't work, that people just denied them. And they shouldn't. Yeah. And and it's like it's okay for us. And I know the disabled community is a very unique community because there's so many different types of people, and there's so many ways to accommodate yeah. each individual person. But man, we again, like you said earlier, we're human, and I don't, I just don't understand. Yeah. Like we're getting, we're getting very far away from you know, men are so much better than women. We're getting so far away from, you know, black people or monkeys and animals. And we're getting away from, yeah. you know, gay people or inhuman and, and ungodly and all these. So we're getting away, so far away from that stuff, but we're, we're still so far away from like what disabled people are. It's like, we're just people. Yeah. Just, we have a, an issue and our issue for, for a lot of us are very visible. Some isn't visible, like with the chronic pain where it's, you know, internal mm -hmm. and people can't tell, but like we go through shit all the time. And you know, we're the people that are like, I, I say it so many times that we're the people that are perceived to be the broken people because of something on us is broken, but yet we're always yeah. the ones that are trying to help people. And, and it's, it, it says a lot and that's why I do what I do, but I also like why I talk to so many people, whether it's parents like you or actual people with disabilities, because it, it helps me to feel good about who I am because you know, it's easy to feel very secluded in my own little bubble and that I don't belong. And that's why like your son's story, though I have had a little more privilege and more advantages than him, I, you know, I've felt very similar to him in a lot of ways. And I've, I, I could on one hand find a few places in my life where I could tell you I felt like normal or felt like I belonged. And I don't, yeah. you know, I, I, I live a life of most, for the most part, normalcy and I do my own thing, but you know, how many people told me along the way that I wouldn't be, able, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't be shit. I wouldn't make anything of myself. And, mm -hmm. and again, like mm -hmm. <laughs> I, it's, if the eye problem was my only problem. My life mm. would be great, but society doesn't make it great. My mental health doesn't make it great. Like, and the mental yeah. health stuff comes from all the other things that happened to me. And it's just, you know, again, I can talk about my disability, like it's nothing and be happy, be proud to be, to be, have a disability. It's just, it's everything else yeah. that makes life so hard. So, um, and like I said, I, well, people, people don't want to be bothered. No, they just don't want to take the time. They don't want to be bothered. They're in a hurry. They're busy. They don't want to take the time that it takes to figure out a solution. Yeah. And that's the same thing with what, what you're talking about, what goes on in your life. It's the same thing with Maddie and, uh, you know, and I don't, don't know any solutions, but you know, I'll give you an example with Maddie in prison about six months ago, he wanted to work. He wanted a job. And so they hired him to mop the hallways and he doesn't do well with a broom or a mop. He's, it's very challenging for him to, to do the coordination of it. He was fired. I think he had the job maybe two or three weeks. They fired him because he just wasn't good. And he couldn't do it good enough. It hurt him so deeply. Here he thought he was doing a good job and it, it hurt him. He was so hurt by that. And I said, Matt, you go get another job. Just get another one. That one's just not meant for you. There's one that you're going to be really good at. You wait and see. And another job came up scrubbing pots and pans all day long. Yeah. Pots and pans all day long. And he did a good job with that. The coordination with that, that worked for him. But sweeping and mopping is 
very challenging for him. So he did so well with that job and somebody bothered to be okay with taking the time with teaching him that four months later, they gave him a raise with that job. And then they said, you know, can we teach you how to do food handling? Now they knew they, he couldn't take a written test. So they worked with him and worked with him for four or five months. And then they, to take the test for food handling, they, they asked him the questions and they helped him. They helped him. That's how you resolve people who have disabilities. You take the time. You find another another way to, to make them productive. Um, nobody ever in his growing up was willing to do that. And I can't tell you how many jobs we tried out for him to, him to work at. Um, but there's always another way, just like with your site. There's always another way. If you can't get this over here that you want this way, then you go another way. And that's where I feel my job is right now is to help those with disabilities, whatever kinds those are. We're going to find other, we'll find another solution. So that one didn't work. Okay. What's, what's, there's got to be somebody somewhere who has an idea, somebody who, who had a thought. And, yeah. you know, one person at a time will figure it out and make it better. Yeah, that's why it and takes, not such an issue. That's why it takes so many people all at once. I think everybody's trying to do it in their own way individually, and it's like no. Yeah, I, I mean, my big thing is is kind of bringing the the disability community together in my own way because the reality is the disability community is all over the place because there's so many variants yeah. of us, and and a lot of us just you know one of the things I I, I didn't want to fall into, which I did in the beginning, is just what a lot of others were doing with their podcasts and YouTube channels where they were covering their own disability and they weren't delving deeper and they weren't, you know, respecting the entire community. They weren't going yes. and saying, Hey, what about those people with autism? What, what you know, what about dwarfism? Yeah. What about, you know, uh, you know, whatever MS and, and all these different things. It, it was just, what is your problem? Okay. Let's talk about this for 30 episodes. And it's like, no man, right. it's not going to help anybody. I mean, it will help, but it's, you're going to run out of topics and you're going to, you're not going to be able to reach more. And, and that's the thing. It's, I think so many of us were, we're, we're mushed all into this one category of this, this guy in a wheelchair logo. And yes, at some point, that is like, the problem. Yeah. And, but at, at some point we have to fight back and go, okay, this is how you see us. Let's show you what unity and strength is. And then we can show you how different we are once we're together. And, but it's, we're so, I, again, there's a lot of shame and humility in the disability community because a lot of us don't want to even acknowledge that we're even disabled. So yeah, because it implies that you're less than it. it yeah. Everybody has uh, their challenge. So if you want to call it a disability, if you want to, whatever you want to call it, we all have our challenges, whatever that challenge is, but it's not less than, and I think that's the problem with people who don't have these disabilities. It's like, I don't want to have time for that because I don't want to be around less than. And it's like, no, no. I, as a matter of fact, I have another, my youngest child who I adopted the last two, he has uh, Asperger's autism. And I've been humbled with Maddie and then with my son, Isaiah, who has Asperger's. Um, that can be very challenging. Um, and then I've had other kids with other kids. I have a transgendered child. And everybody has their, and I'm not saying transgender is a disability, but no, yeah. there's things that the transgender, can, they, they go through. Yeah, and then it can be crippling for them. But Yes, and I, people just don't want to deal with it. 
and they don't want to take the time or, or just be bothered with trying to find a solution. Yeah. Um, can, uh, they're in the fast lane. Can I, I actually just, I want to wrap up the episode. We can finish up off mic. But, sure. Cause this is going to, this episode is going to be really long. So um, just Sorry. can you promote, no, no, you're good. I enjoyed the conversation. Can you just promote your book one more time and then we can just end the episode? Yes. It's called behind iron bars by Lorraine Lewis. And um, it's about an intellectually disabled man who's in prison and it's based on the true story of my son. Yeah, well, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.